Welcome to Positive Space, Conversations and Art Foundations, a production of Foundations in Art, Theory and Education, also known as FATE. Positive Space is a podcast providing opportunities for those passionate about art foundations to discuss and promote excellence in the development and teaching of college-level foundations in art studio and art history classes. Happy New Year, and welcome to Positive Space. I'm Raymond, the editor of Positive Space. In the new year, we'll be trying out a new format in an effort to keep you, the listener, better informed about the goings-on at FATE. As always, we love feedback here at Positive Space, so please leave us reviews on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever it is you pick up your podcast. Please contact us with interview or topic suggestions via email at fatepositivespace at gmail.com, or, if you're bold, send us some audio at 904-990-FATE. That's 904-990-3283. With the 17th Annual Conference being held in Columbus, Ohio, this April 4th through 6th, come several deadlines you should be aware of. First, the shout-out award nominations are due soon. Fate values the input of all and wants to be intentional about including a wide range of educators in the dynamic conversations about foundations education. So this year, Fate is pleased to offer three adjuncts or temporary faculty members the opportunity to attend the upcoming Fate conference with a waived registration fee. Please help us recognize hardworking educators by taking a moment to complete a nomination form online. It's quick and it's easy, and it'll make you feel great. Nominations can be submitted via the conference page on the Fate website. That, by the way, is foundationsart.org, but don't forget the dash between foundations and art. The deadline for shout-out award nominations is January 20th. Award winners will be announced in mid-February. By the way, advanced registration for the conference ends on February 1st, so make sure you register before the registration rate goes up. This episode of Positive Space is brought to you by ChartPack. ChartPack is the parent company of 14 different brands, including Higgins and Grumbacher. A longtime supporter of FATE, ChartPack will be returning to the FATE conference again this 2019. So on to the show. In this episode of Positive Space, FATE's president, Valerie Hanks, led a workshop at the annual conference of the Mid-America College Art Association, that's MACA for short, back in October of 2018 in Lincoln, Nebraska. Participants were asked to consider authenticity and were reminded of the risky and uncomfortable setting classrooms can carry for students. Workshop participants were then challenged to embrace risk by physically leaving the comforts of the workshop space and put themselves in an uncomfortable situation and then report back to the group. The following recording is a selection of participants sharing these experiences and reflecting on how this exercise and discomfort could impact their thoughts about power, control, and empathy in the classroom. Alrighty, so if you want to just start by telling me your name and your institution, and then you can just tell me what you did to make yourself feel uncomfortable or vulnerable. Okay. My name is Emily Morgan, and um, I'm a, a, I teach art history classes and design foundations at Iowa State University. Okay. And I'm not really that fond of talking to strangers. Uh, I'm fairly shy. So um, I went outside, and I talked to the valet who was parking the cars. He had a moment, so that was very nice of him. And um, when we were playing uh, the game earlier where we were trying to figure out uh, what artist we were with the cards uh, on our foreheads, I was Chuck Close. And Chuck Close has become a fairly controversial figure lately. So I walked out, and I said to the valet, like, do you mind if I ask you some questions? And I said, do you know who this is? And I gave him the little card that says Chuck Close on it. He said no. And I said, well, you know, he made 
photographs and paintings, and I briefly described them. And then I said, and he's, I said, do you know what the Me Too movement is? And then he said, yes. And I said, would you, if you saw one of these paintings and then you found out that the artist had harassed his models, like, would that make you uh, dislike the work? And he was really thoughtful, and he said, "No, I would. I would. If I had already thought that it was had some value, he said, I would. Mm. I would continue to think that it was beautiful. I might think less of the person as a person." And I said, "So you think that it's possible to separate the work from the maker?" Mm-hmm. And he said, "Yes." Wow! So, wow! Yeah. And and was he sort of put off by this like immediate kind of realness in the conversation and not like, where are you from? Or where's a good place to eat? Or how's your day? You know, he really wasn't. And maybe it's because of how I framed it. I was like, I'm going to ask you some questions. They're kind (laughs) of weird. Sorry. Are you busy right now? You know, so, you know, I did. uh, But he he also seemed pretty game for for it as well. He was, he was, there was no like, okay. You know, he was, he was up for it. Right. Yeah, well, so, so like in in the workshop, like with being shut close and having people try to guess who you were mm-hmm. and and those kinds of things, and then with having that conversation with a stranger, mm-hmm. um, congratulations for mm-hmm. for doing that. By, by the way, that can be really awkward. Do you feel like this is something or this feeling of uh, vulnerability or uncomfortableness is something that you could bring into the classroom, or do you feel like that's something? that you would be comfortable with? I would hope so. You know, I work with a lot of first-year students, and trying to get them to have uncomfortable conversations is, you know, kind of an ongoing process. But at the same time, I'm, you know, I teach a lecture of 300 students, and you don't, there are definitely times when I think, like, I could bring this up. But it would also be like dropping a bomb in the middle of my lecture, and can Mm -hmm. I have a meaningful conversation with 300 people? Mm -hmm. Or are there going to be some people who are only uncomfortable and take nothing away from it? Mm -hmm. And so that's a kind of ongoing challenge, right? You know, in a discussion class, it's a whole lot easier to bring up. This, in particular, is something I talk about with with my first-year students all the time. Do we separate the work from the person? Is the person Mm. 100% responsible for the content of the work? And, you know, what happens when our estimation of the person changes. Right, so. and I'm, I'm curious about you bringing up like the Me Too movement and Chuck mm-hmm. Close and those kinds of things. Is that something that you feel in your art department you guys talk about that or that's something that um, like in your classroom has have your students mentioned the Me Too movement? Has that been something that's been something that you guys have talked about or students have shared about? Um, I also teach a smaller upper division class, oh, and so okay. it comes up in that class, I think, a lot more because it's a modern art class, and I, t- I bring it up, I guess, because mm. I talk about, you know, Paul Gauguin. And in order to talk about Gauguin, we just have to ignore his life, his personal mm. qualities, because he was such a, a, you know, reprehensible human being. But he, he was so important <laughs> for the development of modern art that you can't mm. teach a modern art class and not cover Gauguin. With so, so many people it's that way. Yeah, you know? right, <laughs> right. So I think, you know, having to sort of teach the work and then at the end go back and say, so he was, you know, like had these personal qualities and let's talk about that and let's talk about Woody Allen. Like what happens if Annie Hall happens to be your favorite movie? Like what do you do with right, that, right? right. Um, so I think it, I have brought it up, um, but... I wish I could bring it up 
in a way that incorporated it into these kind of large lectures rather than these small select groups of, you know, mm-hmm. four to ten students, mm-hmm. right, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think in those larger classes it is harder to have a real conversation mm-hmm. with that many students mm-hmm. because students aren't generally going to want to raise their hand and be really vulnerable in front of that many people and mm-hmm. share something. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I teach in Huntsville, Texas, and a lot, of, I wouldn't say most or, or have a percentage, but a lot of students attend that university because their parent or a family member is incarcerated mm-hmm. at the state prison there, oh, wow. or one of the seven, uh-huh. um, where most of them aren't coming home because mm-hmm. that's where they go to get to get executed. And so um, so there's a lot of things bubbling, and mm-hmm. they're, they're not even below the surface. They're just kind of hovering. Um, so it can be really challenging, um, you know, having those kind of conversations with, mm-hmm. with a larger group. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think... That's impressive that you're able to talk about those kinds of things in class. I really wish I could bring it into my first-year classes, though, because I feel like this should, these kinds of conversations, including uncomfortable conversations and destabilizing conversations, should be a part of the first-year experience. They Mm -hmm. should be a part of the university experience, the college experience from day one. And it's really hard to do, mm-hmm. particularly when I think a lot of students are coming expecting that they're going to be educated with a set of skills, and that's what they're getting, right? right. So, right. But yeah. I think a skill is also valuable when it's about how do you be yourself and how do you be brave, mm-hmm. you know, instead mm-hmm. of just avoiding all the landmines, yeah. you know, which is, I, I can appreciate that as well, um, you know, not wanting to make people uncomfortable or bring up something that might trigger another student um, or another colleague for that matter, but, um, but yeah. Well, I'm glad you felt like you got something out of it. That's yeah, really wonderful. Yeah, thank you. That's great. You're yeah. welcome. You're welcome. Thank you. Hi, my name's Mike Arrigo. I, uh, I teach at Bowling Green State University. And uh, we were tasked with going out and uh, making ourselves uncomfortable. And so I had to think for a few moments about what makes me uncomfortable. And it didn't take me too long. I, I realized the thing that makes me uncomfortable is making other people uncomfortable. Uh, sort of by... Um, own predilection and by training and even by job description, part of what we have to do is not make people feel uncomfortable, uh, but make them feel as comfortable as possible. So uh, I didn't know exactly what I was going to do, but I knew I didn't want to do it in the building. So I left the building and started walking. And by the time I got to the corner of P and 12th, the light was red and there was a Subaru Forester sitting uh, at the light uh, with a, a bearded young man uh, uh, sitting there. And so I went up and knocked on his window and uh, he rolled his window down and I said, hello, my name's Mike. I'm just here to make you feel uncomfortable. <laughs> and he said, it's working. And then we both <laughs> laughed and, uh, and I walked away and my heart literally, in fact, it, my heart's still beating right now. I'm uh-huh. still kind of on that little weird little adrenaline rush. But while I was sort of riding the adrenaline rush, so I just laughed and went back onto the sidewalk and I was on my way, headed back here. And there was uh, a young young woman who was on her cell phone. She had her earbuds in and she looked like she was probably a student. She had a a gray hoodie on. And so I just sidled up next to her and just looked at her phone, just stared at her phone until she noticed me. And then she freaked out. And then I just said it was okay and quickly backed off. But again, I was just like, okay, I made one person feel uncomfortable. Can I do it again? And um, and I did. And the whole thing, like I said, right now, I'm kind of a little, you know, you get that little quivery feeling in the pit of your belly mm-hmm. and it hasn't mm-hmm. quite gone away yet. So I'm still mm-hmm. kind of coming down off of that. But it is definitely when you... I ask students to put themselves in uncomfortable situations a lot. I try to do it in the most comfortable way possible, mm-hmm. but I ask them to put themselves into uncomfortable situations a lot. And 
makes me a little more uh, what's sort of sympathetic uh, mm-hmm. to how difficult it really is for some of them um, to, to actually do that. All right, so uh, my name is Allie Bundy, and I teach at LPS Public Schools in Lincoln. And what I ended up doing is, for whatever reason, the entryway of the hotel that we are currently in has uh, areas that has dirt and plants in it. So I decided to take off my shoes and stand in the dirt for a little while. And then whenever I got out, I was kind of like wiping my feet on the floor. So now there's probably like a streak of dirt and then walked into the pool area and rinsed my feet off in the pool. (laughs) So... um, I don't think it was as embarrassing as it could have been if there was more people in there, but it was just, it was kind of invigorating. It's like, whatever, I'm just going to take off my shoes. You have to smell my smelly feet. (laughs) Um, My name's Mary, and I teach at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. Um, Is this close? Is this like this? Okay. Um, So I was thinking about the things that I feel like that I'm the most afraid of in social situations. And I think similar to what you were saying, like I'm I'm afraid of inconveniencing people and also being visible, being an Asian woman who's lived and worked in a lot of places that are predominantly white. So I followed a couple into the elevator and asked them what um, floor they're going to. And then I then proceeded to pretend like I couldn't remember what floor I was on, so I pushed every button (laughs) on the elevator, and then, and it was fine. It was awkward. They were very forgiving, but then it also allowed me to have a conversation with them about, you know, and I learned that they were from South Dakota, which is where my husband is from, and so we were chatting and kind of learning, having this weird micro-conversation that probably wouldn't have happened. Um, Yeah. And we got some, I think, photo documentation of that, unfortunately. (laughs) Uh, My name's Elizabeth Morissette. I'm from the Museum of Art in Fort Collins. And um, I'm a rule follower. And if I'm not supposed to be somewhere, I don't go there. And if I'm not supposed to do something, I don't do it. So um, this building over here on the corner of the Grand Hall was intriguing to me. My my uh, room faces it, so I thought, well, I'm going to go. And of course, I go and I try one door and it's locked. I try, I, so I tried another door and it was locked. And then I tried the third door and it was open. So I walked in and I just kind of like walked around and um, was checking it out and kind of totally kind of felt like I was in a place I wasn't supposed to be. And um, turns out there's a sushi restaurant there. <laughs> and the people at the sushi restaurant came out and said, "Can I help you?" And I'm like, "No, I'm just." checking it out. Thank you very much. And uh, So anyway, so I wandered around a building and found out it was pretty cool, but um, really felt like I was kind of fish out of water and shouldn't have been there in the first place. But So it was fun. I ended up finding out a nice sushi restaurant, maybe. And uh, yeah, so that's what I did. <laughs> okay, I'm Gwen Montgomery, and I teach at the University of Illinois in Champ- Urbana-Champaign. Um, and I was thinking about it in terms of things that I make my students do specifically. Um, And I'm teaching for the first time observational drawing, which is a little bit actually out of my wheelhouse, although I use drawing in my own practice. I don't draw from life. I've never, until this semester, taught a traditional drawing class. Taught printmaking and other things, but not that. So um, I was very anxious about it leading up to the semester. And then what I found to be the most challenging, um, which is still on my mind, is drawing in front of other people. Um, 
drawing as a part of demonstration is quite, uh, even if I can draw a thing, I guarantee you I cannot do it when it's happening on the board. Um, there's nothing like perspective on the board to really, I recently just had to abandon a thing that I was trying to draw and be like, all right, let's talk about ellipses now. So uh, transition over here, look at the flashing lights. Um, but so what I, I ended up doing was just uh, introducing myself to someone who ended up being the manager of the hotel and then uh, drawing that person in front of that person. And we're very judgmental of our own portraits. Um, so he was very aware of what he looked like. Um, I also engaged them in a conversation that was more personal than I would usually talk to, you know, when you check in, sort of this like rote uh, script. And so I attempted to actually find out who the manager was as a human. Um, and then experienced what my students experienced because they themselves are very self-conscious of other people noticing and judging their drawings. Um, so it was good to, to feel that, although I do feel it re uh, on a regular basis as well. Um, it was uh, also, I, I've enjoyed just having a conversation with somebody. It turned out that we, were, we had more in common than we thought. So. Uh, my name is Ellen Mueller from Minneapolis College of Art and Design, and I did a paired activity with uh, Karen Gurgley from Graceland University in Lamoni, Iowa. And uh, we wanted to take up some space, and uh, we were looking at the atrium, we were looking at the lobby, and Karen had a brilliant idea of borrowing one of the luggage racks. And so we took that outside and rode it mm -hmm. um, around some different blocks. And do you have anything to add? Yeah, I feel like we commandeered it. We did. Um, and uh, we gave a lot of people high fives. And it be, I think it turned into a parade in a way mm -hmm. where people were celebrating us from their cars, which was kind of cool. Um, so I, I don't know if I was that uncomfortable, but they might have been. So. Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, my name's TJ Rowe. I'm a graphic designer here in Lincoln. Um, I went down to the coffee house and had a conversation with a barista that I knew, but then I asked her out. Well, <laughs> uh, actually, I asked her to come over and look at my raccoon at my house. Oh, porch Pro. Porch Pro. So that's not a euphemism. Uh, it's literally a raccoon that lives in my porch, and I feed him out of my hand. Can we all go? Uh, yeah. Uh, she she wanted to, oh. yeah. <laughs> Passing it off. I don't know if you have anything you want to add or say. Or... Uh, mine was, it's not as exciting as asking someone on a date to see my raccoon. Oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> my name is Sandra Williams, and I teach here at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. And I really have a hard time saying no to people. And, you know, you always want to please people and say, you know, yes, of course, I can do this. And uh, I, I foster dogs, and, like, the people that run the rescue are super aggressive. And they're like, can you do this? I'm like, I work. <laughs> you know, I have obligations. And I actually said, I'm like, please communicate with Carrie about this. Um, I'm unavailable to do this. And even saying that made my skin crawl. You know, my skin is still crawling from telling someone no, so. Oh, my goodness. You're like, you have issues. Self-care. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. I mean, I think it's yeah. hard to say no. It's hard to say what, what you want or what you need yeah. or how you feel. 
without, you know, putting it under, like, layers of, I don't know, is this okay? Or maybe kind of, sort of, or one time? Uh, Sometimes I feel like that need to please is so deeply ingrained in us that, Mm -hmm. you know, it's hard to step outside of that. Sure. And I mean, I don't know if you guys feel this way, but I often feel like, you know, when I see some of my colleagues, which I don't see very often, you know, maybe once in a while um, at like a meeting or something like that, you know, there's like this temptation to just be like, everything's great. Everything's so great. How are you? I'm so great. Great, 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 great. Everything's great. Love my students. Love my life. Everything's great. And just to kind of um, float in that realm rather than... um, you know, you don't want to have like a complaining competition or anything, but um, but sort of finding that that space of just being authentic rather than because we would want our students to be that way, and so it's sort of awful if we're not willing to to do that ourselves. Yeah, yeah. So, do you guys have any other thoughts or comments on being uncomfortable, or thoughts on uh, vulnerability, or uh, how to have uh, conversations? that go beyond sort of the surface and the typical? Well, it's interesting what you're just saying in the context of this whole conference because on Facebook, on Instagram, everybody's great. You know, everybody's going on these great trips and they're all doing all this great stuff. So there's like this whole conversation of like, what's the genuine life? You know, and mm. that's, not, that's not the stuff you post on Facebook. You don't, I mean, unless it's like explosion, right? It's like... Most of the stuff you see from people online is like their their lives are great, and when you're like mm-hmm. when you're having a bad day, you're like, what the heck? What is wrong with me? And it's almost like there needs to be like a Facebook for real. You know what I mean? Like there, yeah. there can be the Facebook, and then there's like here's real life, you know? And mm-hmm. where you can, I don't know if people would need to be anonymous to be have those kind of conversations, or what it is about social media that we all feel like we have to be perfect, and we don't post it unless it is. You know what I mean? Sure. Well, and I actually think it's kind of ironic that we have social media that makes it so that we want to feel the need to be more perfect when I feel like the stress on the individual has increased. So it's like it's more stressful. People are more stressed than ever before, but we're also more driven to pretend that we're not stressed. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's making a huge uh, war within us. Well, one of the things I find is that I have two teenagers, two teenage girls right now, so they're kind of going through it. And I see it in my students, too, and it's that uh, I think one of the things that stresses people out in general puts us on is, is just the ability to communicate on a, on a face-to-face level of being able to just talk with people. Um, and I find, especially with my daughters and with uh, my students, this seems really exacerbated. I mean, if it's, it's like, you know... Um, my daughters toss around the term social anxiety. I, I'm not a professional, but I'm pretty sure my daughters just feel normal frickin' awkwardness, you know, but because they have this label that's so convenient uh, that they feel like they can hide behind that, that they can mm-hmm. avoid having to do the uncomfortable thing, and therefore you never learn skills. And it's like one of the things I'm constantly telling my, my, my daughters is that everyone feels this way. It's the rare individual who loves to go up to other people and feels, you know, abandoned, you know, and, and completely comfortable and uh, completely in their element um, in social situations. So I think that, uh, I, th- I think that's this exercise for me um, was really sort of about that experience. I think we all need to put ourselves in uncomfortable situations on a fairly regular basis because that's the way we grow. Otherwise, we stay in our comfort zone and we stay kind of 
the way we are and have the same kinds of experiences uh, and the same kinds of things. Mm -hmm. I mean, to, to live an interesting life is to embrace risk. Mm -hmm. And we're doing our students a disservice if we don't help them figure out how to embrace risks safely. Yeah, and, and I think to, to sort of add to that is, is to talk to other human beings that maybe you wouldn't normally go up to and speak with, um, who maybe don't um, come from the same background that you do or don't seem to have the same T-shirts that you have or, you know, whatever it is, um, you know, to kind of expand that and just to, to be curious, right? I mean, don't we want to be those kinds of people that are curious and um, wouldn't we want our students to be that way? Um, but then I often think, well, man, am I really doing that? Or am I just, like, writing a song about it and, like, telling everyone else to do it? <laughs> yeah, for sure. For well, sure. and the question is, is the comfort zones that we have right now, are they really that comfortable? Because that means that you're just constantly scared of so many things. Like, the smaller your comfort zone is, the more scared you are to be out of your comfort zone. But you're still uncomfortable, mm -hmm. even when you're in your comfort zone. I read an essay, and maybe you know about this, I read an essay recently um, about a psychologist in the 50s who is kind of famously known for prescribing his client or his um, patients mm -hmm. to uh, do these shame attacks, which is yes. essentially what you just had us do, and mm -hmm. the popular one is that he would tell um, folks to go outside and walk a banana, like tie a string to it and pretend like you're walking a dog and then right. through do, uh, confronting it mm -hmm. you completely puncture all of that fear and you mm -hmm. in fact realize that it was a low risk thing right. to begin with right but right. you had imagined it being right. so terrible and people mm -hmm. would you know scold you or something yeah yeah yeah, that's, that's incredible for sure. And I, I heard a talk, and I can't remember who it was that said it, um, but it was at a CAA, I think, in, in L.A. last year, and there was this brilliant woman that was talking about um, vulnerability sort of in the same realm that we're speaking about right now, and, and she was talking about, um, you know, how in classrooms we often hear about, you know, oh, we really want the safe space, right? We want the space where everyone feels really comfortable and really good, and we can talk about our feelings. Um, but she was like, I don't want that, because that's everyone avoiding these trigger things and everyone just kind of keeping everybody comfortable and happy and sort of in this realm. And so she was like, I really want a brave space. I want a space where people are, are kind, but are going to say, Hey, that was awkward. You just made her feel weird. Like, you know, in a critique or in a dynamic where, um, colleagues or students feel like they can say, well, my feelings are really hurt today, or I don't think I did my homework right or, um, whatever the case is. But, um, what, what do you guys think about that? seems to me it's a, you know, it's a process where you mm -hmm. have to start with the safe space in order to get to the brave space mm -hmm. because you wouldn't feel comfortable saying that to someone unless you already, unless you had established, kind of like we established like a relationship with one another with this, right? Mm. And then you move on to the more awkward thing like this funny, haha, we're right here. But you move to that next thing. So it's, it's, um, it's like you can't start first your first class and be like, okay, it's a brave space. You can tell people off or yeah, you can say, be real honest. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's like, it's a process and it's probably also dependent upon um, the community of the group, right? Mm -hmm. And and whether they feel that way with one another. You know, if you, I don't know, I, I, I think that's a good thing to shoot for, mm -hmm. but I think, I don't see it happening until there's some kind of a trust within the community, within the group. Thank you for listening to this episode of Positive Space. 
If you're interested in being part of FATE's ongoing conversation about art foundations, visit the FATE website at foundationsart.org. Don't forget the dash between foundations and art. This episode's interview was conducted by Valerie Powell and was engineered and edited by Raymond Gaddy. Our theme music was provided by Lee Rosevere. If you like what you hear on Positive Space, be sure to give us a review at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever it is you find your podcast. Better yet, send us some audio. You can call Positive Space at 904-990-FATE. That's 904-990-3283. You may find your voice on the next episode of Positive Space.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Positive Space. If you're interested in being part of FATE's ongoing conversation about art foundations, visit the FATE website at foundationsart.org. Don't forget the dash between foundations and art. This episode's interview was conducted by Valerie Powell and was engineered and edited by Raymond Gaddy. Our theme music was provided by Lee Rosevere. If you like what you hear on Positive Space, be sure to give us a review at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever it is you find your podcast. Better yet, send us some audio. You can call Positive Space at 904-990-FATE. That's 904-990-3283. You may find your voice on the next episode of Positive Space.